0: Good morning everybody uh this is going to be the first of two recordings for a little preparatory stuff before our vampire of the masquerade series starts to be released uh the other one is going to be a lore focused episode that will be dropping around the same time as this one this one is a more mechanics ver- uh mechanics focused one since there are now five ish versions of vampire and i have got uh, Mr. Matthew Dawkins, to come on and help me talk about it a little bit.
1: Yeah, so, uh, hello. I should probably add, at this point, I know nothing about Vampire the Masquerade's mechanics. This is going to be a fun... T- no, that's not true. I've been uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh No, hopefully I'll be able to make it interesting and educational. Uh, I don't think much of the storyteller system that is used for Vampire the Masquerade is terribly complex but bear in mind i am saying that with several years of experience as a vampire storyteller and player as well as a writer so i will i'll break it down into bite-sized chunks and hopefully if you've got any questions as i'm talking by all means interrupt and i will do my
0: best to answer that's that works out for me uh we've been I think March of last year was when we started recording Vampire, which has gotten super crazy now that it's been almost a year of us recording stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a long game. And March last year seems like about thirty years ago at this point. uh, With uh, the way the world is right now, at time of recording, (laughs) I'm sure it's not going to improve in the next week. But yeah, it's uh, that's been quite a long time.
0: I was hoping that this was going to be a calmer year, and then all of a sudden GameStop stock exploded.
1: But that's not why people are listening. People are listening to to Hear About Vampire the Masquerade, a much happier subject.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, you've been doing vampire stuff outside of just playing storytelling for a while now, right?
1: Yep. So I started playing and running... Storyteller games like Vampire the Masquerade. I think Vampire or Wraith was my first one. Way back somewhere like 1999, year 2000, it was one of the very first role-playing games I got to read through from beginning to end, play and run. And I fell in love with the game, the setting, found the rules very simple and intuitive and bought as many books as I could, read them all cover to cover repeatedly, and tried to make them the best games I ran at my gaming club. And luckily, the players seemed to think so. So it gave me enough encouragement, confidence, to just keep getting deeper and deeper down that vampire rabbit hole. When Vampire the Requiem came out, I really invested in that as well, and my players loved that too and then we had Vampire the Masquerade 20th Anniversary Edition in about 2011, I think it was, and I just jumped on that as well. And then, of course, by about 2013, I was writing tabletop RPGs part-time on top of my job, which was primarily working as a trainer at various companies, a technical trainer. on all kinds of subject matters and ultimately i was picking up enough freelance contracts as a writer and as a developer of books not just on vampire the masquerade lots of role-playing games for lots of different companies that i could do that full-time so all of that and not even mentioning the youtube channel that i had running for years and years and years but yeah uh, i this is my life now my working life and my hobby which is quite a privileged position
0: What else have you written for that wasn't World of Darkness related?
1: Wow, okay, so I've written for Call of Cthulhu, I've written for Green Ronin's Modern Age, I've written for Cult Divinity Lost, I have written for going to be testing my knowledge at this point and insulting anyone that I forget um i've written for other more lighthearted games like monarchies of mao and pugmire i've written my own game they came from beneath the sea and they came from beyond the grave which is a movie genre game Uh, beneath the sea is a 1950s b-movie role-playing game whereas beyond the grave is a 1970s and 19th century sort of exploitation hammer horror movie genre game and yeah, a lot. I mean, on com, you can see my list of credits, and I work across role playing games, board games, card games, video games. Uh, and you kind of have to in this industry because just relying on one well uh, is, well, it will never. Allow you to pay the mortgage, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or keep food on the table. Uh, As a freelancer, you just have to keep looking around for work, and so that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. Uh, But yeah, I feel that Uh, I'm in in a very fortunate position where I have written on all the games I've ever wanted to, and so now I am in a position where I get to start making games that I want to make from scratch. And I do that largely through Onyx Path Publishing, who are the one of the licensees of Vampire the Masquerade and the other World of Darkness games, as well as Chronicles of Darkness games. And they release some fantastic games like They Came From Beneath the Sea and Beyond the Grave. And we've got another They Came From game coming up later this year. Uh we've they are also currently kick starting uh two games scion dragon and scion masks of the mythos scion is a game where you play the children of gods quite literally you might be a child of loki a child of zeus a uh, child of pretty much any damn pantheon because the scion origin and scion hero games that lay all that out have got so many options and they they have really been embraced and very successful since they were released it sort of blends mythology with urban fantasy and Mask of the Mythos is the Call of Cthulhu variant where you are literally playing, playing the children of gods like Cthulhu, Nihilathotep, and Hastur. And Dragon takes you into a more fantasy mythological bent with the dragons in the name. But the artwork in those games is wonderful. Anyway, I'm mentioning all of that and I'm sort of pitching it. I didn't even work on the, those Scion games, but I am in love with them. They are right now my favorite game going. And very much recommend anyone checks them out.
0: That's that's definitely way more than I've got. I uh, <laughs> I think it was my senior year of high school. One of my friends invited me over to her house with a couple of people to have a party. I show up and I find out that they're doing a vampire LARP, and I had no idea what it was.
1: Yeah, well, I've LARPed and table and played tabletop. The I'm I'm a bigger fan of tabletop than LARP. Uh, LARP just isn't quite my It just isn't my preference, to put it simply. I've done enough of it to know with a certainty that it isn't my thing. But nothing against people who do enjoy it. And I know of some fantastic LARP groups out there, uh, obviously not really operating much now given the current uh, climate in the world, but I have no doubt they will get back together as soon as they can.
0: I'm sure that people are excited about doing it. I saw some people oh. that were talking about like online LARPs and stuff, which just sounds like a big, you know, Discord setup, kind of play by post text kind of situation, but something to keep them ho- keep them going until things return to more normal.
1: Yeah, I mean, I used to run uh, or I founded a group called the Vampire the Masquerade YouTube experiment, where you had people playing over what was Google Hangouts at the time and you could drop into different rooms they were different like cities or different buildings in the vampire city and you could drop into rooms interact with other vampires via webcam and your sessions were automatically recorded and then uploaded to YouTube because that's what hangouts on air used to do and we ended up building up this massive bank of youtube um, actual plays this was before the sort of podcast actual play Boom, and it's interesting that 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 kind of wheel has turned now. And as you say, lots of LARP groups, lots of tabletop groups who can't meet in person right now are using mediums like that to role play. And while it may not necessarily scratch the same itch fully, uh, it is good that people are still finding new ways to role play.
0: Yeah, and it's more about uh keeping those connections because I imagine a lot of LARP troops out there had been going for years probably at this point yeah yeah definitely some of them for decades yeah which to me is a crazy thought (laughs) i imagine that they have reset and blown up their uh blown up their cannon and stuff so that it's not like the same game for those 10 years because i couldn't imagine running the same game for that long
1: I would hope so, because if I know anything about Vampire the Masquerade LARP groups, it's that they have probably killed around 250 princes in the course of the last 10 years if they've been running that long, because my experience of LARPs is the prince is almost always the first vampire targeted in the domain for destruction. Uh, Because you have players who naturally want to ascend, you know, climb up the hierarchy and install themselves as a prince, they end up doing so and then someone assassinates them, and so it goes...
0: It's funny cuz somebody posted the gif from Futurama of the water planet where they keep drinking their previous rulers just a few Yeah, ago. <laughs> yeah very appropriate. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of history to Vampire. We're on our 5th edition now, then that doesn't count Requiem technically. Yes.
1: No, no, uh, Requiem is a separate game line. Uh shouldn't be confused with Masquerade while well, it shares some Terms and terminology, it is a completely different universe, and um, I, I will brook no addition warring because, essentially, whenever people raise Requiem and masquerade, it often causes some kind of uh, hackles to, be, to raise, as if one has usurped the other or ruined the other, and that's not the case at all. They're two completely different games, just like Supernatural and Buffy are different shows, and... In terms of Masquerade, you you do have five five editions, as V five implies, but confusingly fourth edition is called Vampire the Masquerade Twentieth Anniversary Edition.
0: Yeah, I believe I heard on one of the other podcasts that you may have been on that episode that twentieth anniversary was supposed to just be like a a reissue air quotes of the stuff that had came before it into one book but then it got so um, popular that more stuff came out? Am I wrong?
1: Kind of, yeah. So there's been 20th anniversary books now for Vampire of the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage of the Ascension, Wraith the Oblivion, and Changeling the Dreaming. And Vampire the Masquerade was the first one. And when Vampire the Masquerade's 20th anniversary edition was launched through a pre-order service, this is predating Kickstarter, you could basically order it in a deluxe copy and... At that time, that was all that was going to be sold. It was just going to be a deluxe leather-bound version of *Vampire: The Masquerade*. The rules had barely been updated. Most of the text was brand new, but it was wasn't adding anything to the previous editions of *Vampire*. It was, it was just compiling, it, right? It, yeah, it was a compilation, but rewritten to be more readable, more up to date, that kind of thing. Uh, some some of the text is identical because some of the rules things just didn't need changing and rewriting them would be uh, pointless, but things like clan descriptions and the like were rewritten. Now, as you say, V20, as it's called, was a tremendous success, and CCP, the video game company that owned the license to Vampire the Masquerade at the time, recognized this. Their, White Wolf Branch, uh, who were the tabletop RBG and World of Darkness MMO uh, writers of the time, suggested, well, why don't we continue producing this? It's not going to cost CCP anything really to do. So, why don't we do it? Because there's clearly an audience there. They agreed to it, and that's how you ended up with all of the supplements of V20. Now, when you get to Werewolf 20, Mage 20, and so on, uh first of all it was white wolf then it was onyx path who were the only people doing this got increasingly bold with the kind of content they could include they could start creating new material and putting it in these 20th anniversary editions so as you look at the successive games or successive source books for the games in the case of vampire and werewolf you find that the meta plot, as it's often called, the sort of canon for that game world has expanded significantly from what it was in its previous edition. Uh, so the last uh, 20th anniversary edition book, it in essence, is Changeling the Dreaming. And Changeling the Dreaming never had a third edition. It only had first and second. It was cancelled before it got a third edition and so technically C20 is its fourth edition, but it's... Oh, sorry, it's its third edition. My apologies. And it completely overhauls a lot of the redundant rules, setting information, all kinds of stuff. So that's a brand new game in its own way. Um, And same goes for Wraith 20. Uh, But yeah, that is, in short, the story of V20 and what that is. V5 was the new edition of Vampire the Masquerade published by Paradox Interactive. Paradox are mostly known for Crusader Kings games and other such video games. A very popular company with very popular games. And they had purchased the Vampire the Masquerade and World of Darkness license from CCP, uh, and therefore all of the various trademarks and copyrights and so on that were associated with the world of darkness and so on with a mind to launching vampire and the associate games on a transmedia level you'd get tabletop role-playing games like v5 you'd also get video games for vampire and werewolf and wraith and that's what we're seeing now because paradox aren't a tabletop role-playing game company they are on one level, a video game company, but on another, a transmedia one. They want to see World of Darkness everywhere. And it's quite exciting, as a fan of the World of Darkness, to see it enter all of these different mediums.
0: And they've been doing some um, some other stuff, too. Like, in addition to traditional games like Earthblood, that's supposed to be coming out in Bloodlines, too. They've done a couple of visual yep. novels through different people.
1: Yep, yep, quite correct.
0: Uh, Paradox
1: don't make those games themselves. Uh, There have been games in progress occasionally that Paradox may have had a direct hand in. But, yeah, in the case of Earthblood, I believe the studio making that is Nacon. And in the case of Bloodlines 2, that's Hardsuit. And, yeah, you have lots of visual novels, as you say. They're all made by different uh, studios in different parts of the world who essentially license the license from paradox in order to make these games with paradox's oversight and approval
0: of the content of course as our licensing agreements tend to be yep i also i believe they're trying to make this fifth edition of all of the various mediums more compatible because one thing that was whenever I saw it brought up on the different subreddits, it was like, hey, I want to run like a vampire and a werewolf and a mage. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not even close to to the balancer fair there, buddy. (laughs) Well, so initially
1: when World of Darkness 5th Edition was announced, the big headline was One World of Darkness, where as you say, vampires and werewolves mages could all sort of interact. They wouldn't necessarily get on, but they wouldn't necessarily all go for each other's throats either and while that was very much again a headline view big picture view nothing granular had been developed at that point like a ttrpg for vampire the masquerade or a fifth edition for werewolf so it will be interesting because even i don't know how this is going to play out how, where will 5th edition, mage 5th edition, uh, should we get a mage 5th edition? No reason to doubt that we might, but nothing's been announced yet.
0: Uh, I, I, how I, they will I, interact with each other. I couldn't see not getting at the very least the four major, uh, flavors, we'll say, of World of Darkness.
1: Well, my, my guess, and it is pure guesswork, but based on my assessment of Paradox as a company and how they're measuring the licenses, essentially, what seems to be popular, what video games are getting made. We know that there is a vampire game being made. Makes sense. There's V V5 out. We know that there are werewolf games being made, so it makes sense to make werewolf 5th edition and it is being made. And there is also a Wraith uh, video game coming out in VR. And so I suspect, I have a suspicion, that there'll be a Wraith Five before a mage five, but that is just a suspicion. For all I know, there's a dozen mage video games being made, and I just am not in the loop on it. But it will be interesting to see how it plays out and how all of those little cogs interact.
0: Yeah, especially with the past year, the way things have been, there's no telling what is stuck in some kind of delay or other various paperwork problems. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, Paradox have taken
1: the development of all core rulebooks in-house, so all eyes will be on Paradox Interactive for the creation of further core rulebooks.
0: Trying to think where I'm going with this next jumping-off point. I feel like we talked a little bit about the history, a little bit about the World of Darkness and how there are other things from our. Uh, if you want to,
1: if you want to ask what Vampire: The Masquerade is about, I can go into that,
0: that and then we that can go into like a, That seems like a good place to start, because you know it's supposed to be a, a vampire game. Yep. Uh, has Vampire always had the same kind of ongoing themes and stuff? I've heard. Uh, in V20 and potentially earlier that it was a lot more undead superheroes with a mana bar where 5th edition is much more (laughs) uh, personal horror and personal intrigue based? Well, that's
1: an interesting question because you could ask any number of storytellers that question and they would all tell you different things about how they ran Vampire. But there was certainly a trend in previous editions of Vampire to lean more and more into the I guess epic powers side of things. Uh, the expectation that you might play with elders, you might play with the meta plots, so you might be interacting with various iconic characters and events, and that then therefore resulted in sort of globe trotting vampires solving mysteries, if to put it very simply. Now I like Metaplot, I'm a big fan of it, I know a lot of it, but I also very much like the street level hyper-personal vampire stories because that has a little more horror, a little more pathos to it. And V5 has that embedded in its code, if you like. Whereas V20 and its previous edition, what was called Revised Edition, the third edition, were all about the sects, the Camarilla, the Sabbat, the Anarchs, and how they would interact with each other and mostly conflict, and was all about the princes and the primogen and so on. It's Basically, the- it looks at things at a global level. V5 looks at things on a block-by-block sort of block level, a street level. So you don't necessarily care about who the prince is one city over. You don't care about who the... Deluvian, the founder of your clan is you care about the vampires that live on the other side of the street or just a few blocks away because they might be horning in on your territory and so your relationship with mortals is by design through rules as well as setting closer in v5 and your war if you're engaged in one is likewise a lot more personal. You know, it's slinging rocks out of windows rather than firing rocket launchers
0: at demigods. It's actually one of the things I like a lot about V5 from just the thematic perspective is how they are trying to bring all clans to all sects with a little asterisk on it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That, again, was by design. We wanted, when we worked on V5 the core book and it was my pleasure to work on that core book and almost every source book that's come out for it since the idea is to make it as playable as possible and that means providing players with options but not so many as to give them sort of choice paralysis and to also make all of those options each of the clans have a role to play now i'm I'm a big fan of the third edition of Vampire the Masquerade is what really got me into Vampire and also V20, which is just an extension of third edition, really. But I will tell you that reading through the core book for third edition and V20, while you may see clans like the La Sombra and the Giovanni profiled there, it doesn't really give you any advice as to how to play them. And it doesn't really give you any advice as to their placement in the setting. That's my view. Others may feel free to disagree. In V5, there is a definite focus on who are you and what is your role in the world of darkness? What what is it likely that you are going to do and encounter? What are your foes going to be, depending on who you are? Um, Essentially, one of my frequent colleagues on XPath, a lady by the name of Rose Bailey, has always extolled the virtue of creating systems that show off the setting, essentially, and vice versa, rather than having a system that you can just kind of layer over a setting and hope that it works. Um, I I use D20, I use GURPS, but you can argue that those kind of generic systems are that. They are systems that are functional, but not necessarily flavorful in v5 the system is there to evoke the the themes of the game the things like the hunger that's part of the system uh you're constantly on the edge of frenzy giving into your beast and becoming a wild predator on the streets of whichever city you happen to dwell in uh that's all not only part of the setting, but it's also part of the system. So that means when you make a dice roll, uh, it feels significant to do it. And I think that's very important. It was one of our big sort of mission statements with V5, and personally, I think we succeeded with that.
0: I do really like the new Hunger system and how it works out in a lot of its different, uh, different aspects. Because... Oh the little bit of v20 that i played through a play-by-post campaign it was like okay i've got so many blood but like i never really remember any hunting scenes that weren't more than just like a roll find some dude in a walmart bathroom, and you know have a little sip
1: yeah and a lot of it comes down to storyteller undoubtedly because again any type of game can be played with any kind of system but again v5 shows off the setting with its system which is the marked difference what i would say to any people listening who do want to play previous editions of vampire and they look at the blood pool system and they think as you say it's a mana bar for instance then the best way to make uh, that system evoke any kind of tension or any kind of horror, is to make the blood points that you have tangible. Have red beads in front of you, have uh, dice in front of you to represent them. When you have an actual object that you are losing as you are using it, you, the player, will become more aware of it and more concerned about it. Whereas if it is just a chart on a character sheet, you won't care, unless the storyteller keeps referencing it,
0: which they probably won't. My suggestion in that case would be to slightly tweak your idea and instead of little beads, make them actual candy that they can eat when they use it. Yeah,
1: yeah, that works. I mean, I played in a zombie a survival horror role-playing game once uh using Chronicles of Darkness's rule system, which is like the evolution of World of Darkness, if you like. And it was, uh, yeah, zombie survival horror. And our characters had bullets, in front of us, and the storyteller had provided us with uh, spent shell casings, and whenever we fired a bullet, we had to get rid of one of our shell casings. So it made you crucially aware of the fact that you were running out of ammunition as the story was going on. And again, it's a very simple trick, and it really only works if you're playing in person, or at a convention, let's say. But it's incredibly evocative. It's a very good way of bringing players into the moment.
0: For sure. I am a big fan of using the right system to tell the story that the table is trying to tell, where in the case of Vampire, if you want that more personal street level, um, personal horror coming up from the bottom kind of story, V5 does a really, really good job at that. If you want that more epic globetrottery stuff, maybe V20 would fit better at least that current, anyway. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: uh I will always say you can do whatever you like with any system, but definitely I agree with you. V20 lends itself to an all-expansive game. If you want a well- bells and whistles, Vampire the Masquerade game that can do absolutely anything you want, go for V20. If you want a street-level personal horror role-playing game, go for V5. At least if you want the easy route to either. Uh, so i should start talking about the rules shouldn't i
0: oh you know i suppose that would be something that would be helpful to introduce to the people who may not be familiar with the system and setting well so first of all just
1: a little bit on the setting in vampire the masquerade you are playing vampires you're playing undead creatures who quite often have only just been embraced to be embraced is when you have just been turned into a vampire So you and your fellow kindred, that's the sort of code name for vampires in this game, are undead who generally exist in an urban environment and you are going to go through these struggles of not only being someone who has recently died and has to keep their life together or unlife together as a result, including all their mortal contacts. You also find yourself plunged into a clandestine world that hides behind a masquerade where lots of other vampires dwell. Some of them will be friendly, unlikely. Some of them might be supportive. Most of them will be antagonistic, because you are all jockeying for the same thing, which is blood and territory, dominance. You've potentially got an eternity now, so the sooner you can get your foot on the ladder, the better, because this isn't going to be a dead man's shoes situation. You can't just wait for your employer to retire. Vampires will last forever. Doesn't mean you always have to kill each other, but it does mean that you will always be working to win favor with other kindred. Now, in Vampire the Masquerade, that is represented through the political system, the Camarilla, which is the very masquerade heavy sect who believe we should always hide from humanity. We should tightly enforce rules on each other. And the pecking order should never be disrupted. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it always will be. They are an elite club. You have to sort of pay a high price, generally morally, to get into the Camarilla. But if you do, then congratulations, you get to go to all the exclusive parties and meet all the famous vampires. The other main sect is the Anarch Movement. The Anarch Movement aren't all anarchists, but they are vampires who don't necessarily belong to the Camarilla and may want to exist in their own way without the Camarilla rules and may wish to experience a little more freedom may want to have a little more contact with humanity may want to stay in touch with their own humanity which the camera quite steadily sheds like a snake so those are your two options and you have a bunch of clans um, a good handful of them uh, that in the older editions, there's 13 of them. In this edition, there's pretty much 15 playable options at this point, which is Im- impressive. And each of them has a different role to play in Vampire and the Masquerade. They each uphold a different archetype of vampirism. So you have your dominating vampires, you have your feral vampires, you have your sort of fashionista and art-obsessed vampires, you have your hideous Nosferatu vampires, and so on. They all fulfill a certain vampire stereotype from media, so you can immediately get what they're about. And a part of the clan design, when they were designed, way, way back in the early 90s, was they were designed with certain D&D Dungeons & Dragons classes in mind so that players could simply slip into the role of a certain vampire clan and think okay well i'm playing the fighter okay i'm playing the wizard and so if your only experience is through dungeons and dragons you should be able to find a clan that fits the kind of class you like to play but unlike dungeons and dragons vampire the masquerade isn't a d20 game It doesn't use the D&D 5th edition system. It uses what's called the Storyteller system. The Storyteller system uses pools of 10-sided dice, a D10 dice pool. Now, the number of dice you roll is affected by the number of dots you have in certain traits on your character sheet. Your traits are divided into attributes these are your natural abilities if you like your strength your intelligence your manipulation that kind of thing and your skills which are often learned things like firearms uh, things like uh, occult things like finance if you like there's lots of different skills and in order to ascertain how many dice you need to roll you add up the number of dots you have in the corresponding attribute and the number of dots you have in the corresponding skill. So let's say I am trying to, I don't know, fix a car uh, or start a car quickly because there's a werewolf chasing me down the street. And in typical horror movie mode, I drop my keys somewhere back on the road, so I've now got to hotwire it. I may need to use my wits attribute. So let's say I've got three dots in that. And my technology skill. So let's say I've got two dots in that to repair the car, to hotwire it, and get the hell away. Maybe that's what I'm doing. That gives me five dice to roll. Three from wits, two from technology. Now, in this system, when you roll your five dice, you don't add the results together. You just take a note of each result you have rolled. Anything that's a 1 to a 5 is considered a failure. If you fail, you might as well just push those dice aside. They're not important anymore. If you roll a 6 to a 9, that's a success. Congratulations. So let's say the difficulty to hotwire this car is 2. That means I need two sixes or above in order to manage it. If I roll a 10, that's a success. But if I roll a pair of 10s, that counts as two successes. If I roll four... Um, anyway, so each pair of tens is basically worth... Uh, I'll say that again. You can edit that. <laughs> um, basically... More worth pair, later. Yeah. Um, so each pair of tens you roll is worth four successes. So that's good. So the storyteller can be generous and allow you to win at a cost. So let's say you get insufficient successes. Our fleeing vampire in this case only gets one success and needed to, they might succeed, but at a cost, which might be something like the werewolf has picked up your scent, or the car breaks down about a mile down the road, or the police come after you, that sort of thing. You can get total failures, which is when you roll no successes at all, and usually when a total failure happens, the storyteller will punish you in some way. If you're at all familiar with critical failures in other role-playing games, you'll know the kind of thing. and. You have a trait in this game called willpower. Willpower is derived from your uh, two two attributes, uh, your resolve attribute and your composure attribute. You add the two figures together, the numbers of dots in each. That results in your willpower. It gives you a pool of willpower that you can spend, and you can spend willpower to re-roll dice three regular dice, uh, for instance, for each willpower spent. If you have played games with things like luck points or moxie points, or I know there are things like this in Shadowrun 2, you can get your rerolls in so that at a very basic level is the system it's a d10 dice pool system you add the number of dots you have in an attribute to the number of dots you have in a skill you roll that number of dice and the sixes and above are what you're looking for that's your successes
0: i really like dice pool based systems because it's something that you can look at and you can be like i am this good at this thing where something like a d20 based system is a 5% chance of any number coming up, and it's just kind of like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of probabilities and the like, there's benefits to different systems depending on what you're looking for. The storyteller system, which Vampire the Masquerade uses, is derived from the D6 dice pool system that Shadowrun used in its first, well, has always used, but uh, it was created in Shadowrun before it was used for Vampire. And I think Ars Magica as well, which predated Vampire. But anyway, uh, you're not here to hear me be the RPG historian. Um, so, other elements of the system. And here's the parts of the system that really apply if you are a vampire and not just a mortal, because mortals will be rolling these kinds of dice pools as well. Every single time you roll your dice... In V5, you have these things called hunger dice. Now, hunger is a new system invented for V5. In previous editions, you had this thing called a blood pool. A blood pool was a numerical tracker, essentially, of the amount of blood you had in your system, which translated into the amount of blood you could use to activate special abilities. When that blood got low, you needed to refill it, therefore you fed from someone. Simple as that. In V5, you have hunger. And hunger is a system that is constantly there on your character sheet. Your character will very, very rarely have less than one hunger. And hunger goes up to a rating of five. The more hungry you get, the more hunger dice you add to your dice pool in exchange for your regular dice. So what I recommend when you're playing Vampire the Masquerade is you have... Some dice that are a different color to the other D10s, and that, let's say, set of black dice are your hunger dice. They're still D10s, but you replace your regular dice with them for every point of hunger you have on your character sheet. So, what does that mean? Well, if I make that technology and wits roll, and I have my five dice, and let's say I have hunger two on my sheet, three of those dice will be regular, two of those dice will be hunger dice. And the results I get on my hunger dice will affect the way my vampire works. If I just get a normal success, a six to a nine on the hunger dice that I roll, brilliant. No major effect. I keep complete control. It works. Wonderful. However, if I get a 10 or zero on a hunger die, the result is a messy critical. That's what it's called in V5. It means that your success, while successful and superlatively so, is the sort of success that an animal, a prey, a predator in the wild would capitalize on. You know, you're out of control. You do what you're trying to do, but you do it with a certain amount of ferocity. You might display your supernatural power openly without intending to. You will still succeed, but you will succeed messily, and that can cause all kinds of ramifications down the road. Likewise, if you roll a 1 with your hunger dice and you fail, you get a bestial failure. So let's say I rolled I rolled no 6s or above, and one of my hunger dice was a 1. Well, that's a bestial failure, which means I am forced to act out a compulsion, uh, different vampire clans have different compulsions tied to them but this can be something as simple as immediately sating my hunger so if there's a mortal nearby and all i'm trying to do is hotwire a car i leap out of the car and just drain that poor bastard who's next to me uh, i might choose to make that bestial failure a suffering of aggravated damage which is the equivalent of being burned by the sun Essentially, that would be the beast inside me, sort of tearing at my insides and causing me immense pain. Or I could just increase my hunger by getting a bestial failure. Bestial failures can be translated into any number of things. Now, it may sound strange that I'm emphasizing this, this possibility of rolling a one on a failure to get what is amounts to a critical failure in a sense. But this part of the system is part of what makes you feel like you're playing a vampire and not just someone who has a bunch of stats on a sheet because the possibility that you may give in to your beast at any point is hanging over you and the more hungry you get the less you feed to put it another way so you're trying to let's say stave off the monster so you're not feeding the more hunger points you're going to have therefore the more hunger dice you're going to roll therefore the more likely it is you will get a critical, a messy critical, or a bestial failure. So, If
0: memory memory serves in previous editions, weren't frenzies the only time you really lost control to the beast a little bit?
1: Yeah, and you can still frenzy in this game if you're exposed to let's say a massive fire or if someone, let's say, um, mow someone down with a car and you're spattered with their blood, you are still likely to frenzy, but now in this game, you're more likely to it doesn't mean all vampires are running around wild, but it means that the possibility is there
0: yeah, and they're not the bestials and the messy successes aren't as bad as say a frenzy situation, but it is something to remind you that you are a monster,
1: exactly so one of the questions I saw you were asked on your Discord was regarding blood potency, and this is another change in V5. So blood potency is something that was actually introduced in Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition and was used in V5. And uh the blood potency is, as the name implies, a measure of how potent, how strong your Vitae, your magical vampire blood, is. And your the power of your blood potency can basically affect various things on your through your role play, all the way from um, how many dice you can add with a blood surge. Uh, you can basically make your blood surge to give you additional powers. Uh, your blood potency allows you to mend a certain level of superficial damage. The more potent your blood the more you can mend it allows you to add bonus dice to your discipline powers discipline powers are your vampire's magical abilities essentially to do things like hypnotize run over water punch a fist through a chest that sort of thing it allows you to get rerolls on your discipline checks uh, it also however has a downside in that your the higher your blood potency the more your pain severity Bane. Uh, Every clan has a Bane. It is essentially the curse that is specific to your vampire family. And the more powerful you get, the more severe that curse becomes. Essentially. And also, blood potency restricts what you can drink. When you're a wee fledgling of a vampire who has only just been embraced you can drink from animals, you can drink from blood bags the world is your oyster you barely feel like you're undead however as your blood potency increases and it does with age you are increasingly restricted, eventually you can only feed from humans and eventually after that you can only feed from other vampires and that means your blood potency has got very powerful indeed
0: I really like how flood potency does a lot of different things, both good and negative, and gives you a reason for some of these older, more powerful vampires to exit the scene when it's like, look, uh, it's getting real hard to keep fed, so I'm just going to go take a nap for, you know, eh, 150, 200 years, and then I'll be back.
1: Yeah, exactly. And as I said, it's something that was introduced in Requiem. There's a few systems that you will be able to see in V5 that if you've ever played Requiem 2nd Edition, you will recognize. But it's one of the best elements of Requiem 2nd Edition, so I was very pleased to see it ported over to V5 too. Other elements of the system that might be of interest. I saw someone ask about generation because in previous editions of Vampire, your vampire's strength was largely, supernatural strength, was largely governed by their generation. Uh, So every vampire has a generation, which implies how close they are to their clan founder, the uh, vampire that started their family. The closer they are, the more powerful they are or more capacity they have for power. Uh, In previous editions, this translated to you having a larger blood pool, it allowed you to spend more blood points per turn, that kind of thing, and access higher level disciplines. In this edition, what generation does is it affects your maximum and your minimum blood potency. Therefore, if I am freshly embraced as, and this is a very powerful vampire, as a seventh generation vampire, for instance, uh, my minimum blood potency is going to be something, let's see, in fact, I think I've got it noted here, um, three, which means right from the start I can only feed from humans. I don't think three, oh no, animal, yeah, animal and bag blood slakes no hunger at that point so you are immediately feeding from mortals Um but likewise your max blood potency can only reach a certain limit if your generation is somewhere like 13th or 14th you're so far away from your founder you will never get to the power level that they are at so generation is still a crucial element of the game but it isn't the be-all, end-all that it was in
0: previous editions. Breaking the two of them up into generation and blood potency does a lot, in my opinion, to keep it from being just like the one singular god stat, because sure, you can spend experience points to raise your blood potency to get thicker vitae and such, but you got to actually do a certain thing to lower that generation, to raise your ceiling, as it were.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's it's a quite a nuanced little system. It's not complicated, but as you say, in previous editions, people would create characters and they would put all of their starting points into generation just so they could start off, again, with the capacity for a lot of power. The laugh of it was, or the trick of it was, that even though so many players would put five dots in generation, they never had that power at the start of uh, their chronicle. So, and they very rarely played for long enough to build to that level. So it was always a bit pointless, but blood potency is a lot more intuitive in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I like it a lot in how it does the, all of the different things. Like given as some of the powers and disciplines that vampires are going to be using can call for, These rouse checks that might risk them getting hungrier, your blood potency giving you the opportunity to re-roll those dice that may have failed Mm -hmm. so that you can not get hungrier is really good. But if you start getting up to where it gets harder for you to feed, it's like, okay, sure, you may not get as hungry, but when you do get hungry, it's a little bit more difficult to slake that hunger.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about rouse checks briefly because that's a new mechanic for V5 as well. Whenever your character wakes up in the night, so they've been sleeping during the day, they wake up at night, they have to perform what's called a rouse check. A rouse check is, as the name implies again, you rousing yourself from your slumber to go into your evening's activities. Now, you make a a roll of a single die, this is your rouse check. If you succeed on that roll, congratulations, your hunger does not budge. It stays at what it was the night before. However, if you fail, your hunger increases by one, which means, of course, you will end up rolling more hunger dice in future And um, until you feed. So, again, that feeling of hunger is ever-present in V5. It's always hanging over you. You also have to perform rouse checks when you perform various special abilities, your disciplines. A lot of your discipline powers, especially the higher level discipline powers, require you to make a rouse check before you can activate your power. Now, again, what this means is in order to do something like get into someone's head and convince them that they never saw you, they don't remember you, and in fact, they don't even remember how they got here, you're going to have to pull a rouse check before you can do it. And that means that by exerting your effort in that way, rousing your Vitae, you are potentially making yourself more hungry. Again, playing into the idea that vampires are creatures born by hunger. That is what they are carried on. And, yeah, it it plays quite beautifully with the idea of vampires being predators because no matter how much you may wish to control it, that hunger will always be there.
0: Unless you want to start committing murder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you Diablarize
1: another vampire, that is to say you drink another vampire's blood and soul, if you like. I mean, that's uh, very much an opinion whether vampires even have souls. You can reduce your hunger all the way to zero. That's about the only way you can reduce your hunger to zero. But it Important. also... Um, I, I think if you drink from mortals, you have to, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you kill the mortal, yeah, you can reduce it to zero. That is true. That is true. So, yes, yeah, so if you kill mortals or diabolize other vampires, cannibalize them essentially, you can reduce your hunger to zero. Now one of the fun little system elements in v5 also is this thing called blood resonance this is purely for the storyteller to adjudicate really Uh, i won't go into it in too much detail but the idea is that different blood has different effects and it isn't this person's a positive this person's a b or what have you it's the person you're drinking from is inhabited by a certain emotion right now or they are controlled by it overridden by it uh this is your disgracia uh or disgracia i've never known how to pronounce it but it's your blood resonance and what this amounts to is 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 this person uh, feeling melancholic is this person feeling angry is this person feeling joyful that sort of thing because depending on how the person is feeling depending on what's going on in their life when you feed from them, you gain special abilities, special bonuses. They're, they're very minor. They tend to be very, very minor, but it's a wonderful little feature of the game that is in the V5 core book. And we've got more of these disgraces coming up in, uh, one of the, uh, books on X Path Publishing putting out, uh, trails of ash and bone is what that one's called. And. You can essentially do things like make yourself slightly more persuasive for the night by drinking from someone who is incredibly confident. Or you might make yourself more capable of hiding in the shadows by feeding from someone who's incredibly shy or retiring, that sort of thing. So it makes the feeding process more than just, I need to top up my pool, pool, or I need to just reduce my hunger. Now I'm feeding for a purpose because I need this kind of ability for the night. And it again adds that level of predate- predation to the vampire playing.
0: And some potentially darker connotations as you're like, well, I'm looking to feed off somebody who is sad. So I'm going to go and I'm going to arrange for them to lose their job, have their car repossessed. Yep. And all of that stuff to manipulate their emotions or... Absolutely.
1: It's not always easy to just find someone who is feeling a certain way. Sometimes you have to engineer it. And that kind of toying with your prey is where the humanity system comes in. Uh Yeah, it's magnificent, isn't it? So in every edition of Vampire the Masquerade you've had this trait called humanity. Humanity governs how moral your character is, how ethical they are. And... In V5, the system has changed slightly. Humanity ranges from 0 to 10. Most characters start around 7. That's the base human average. Now, what each point on the humanity track means is ultimately irrelevant. What is relevant is the fact that whenever your character does something that goes against one of their personal convictions, and it's recommended, in fact, it's guaranteed, you should write your character's convictions down, Uh, if you basically go against your convictions, your principles, you, let's say your conviction is never, uh, I will never allow harm to befall a child. So that's a very easy one. That is your belief. That's your moral, your moral breaking point. You will never allow harm to befall a child. Well, one of the vampires in your coterie, your gang of vampires feeds from a child because they're damn hungry and you find out about it, and you did nothing to stop them, and you don't even punish them for it because you're afraid of them. You gain what is called a stain on your humanity. So let's imagine that your humanity is 7 out of the possible 10. The dots of that humanity that are not filled in, so 8, 9, and 10, are how many stains you have to accumulate before you have to perform what is called a remorse role. So, Let's say your conviction is I won't allow a child to be harmed in my presence or what have you. So that happens. You can put a line through number 10 because that is your first stain. Let's say you've got another conviction, which is I will always provide for my family, my mortal family, despite the fact I'm a vampire. Well, you've been so consumed by vampire politicking that you find out that your aged mother has just been kicked out of her flat by her landlord. Well, that's another stain. Because you failed, you failed your mother. You failed to uphold your conviction. So when you hit seven in this case, you've got your three stains. You then make a roll um, versus the number of stains on your uh, on your pool. So in this case, it will be three stains. And on a failure, if you fail your roll, your East winds and your humanity decreases. It's very sad, but that is how your humanity goes down in *Vampire the Masquerade*. If you succeed, however. You you basically go through some kind of trial of remorse. You agonize over it. You feel bad about it. You come to the conclusion that you've done a wrong thing and you'll try and be better in future. Because vampires always do this in media. They always get to that point where they're they're rending their clothing and thinking, why? Why did I allow this to happen? Why have I become a monster? Well, if you actually have that moment and you take away something from it that makes you a better person, that's you succeeded on your remorse role. Your humanity has not decreased this time. But you would be just as eligible to accumulate stains in future. Now, you can essentially keep stains off your back. Or the only way to keep stains off your back is by having these convictions. uh, Because you can essentially eliminate your stains by upholding your convictions. And you can only have convictions if you have something called touchstones. For every one touchstone, you have a conviction, or to put it another way, every conviction, you have a touchstone, and that touchstone must be connected to the conviction. Touchstones were things introduced again in Vampire the Requiem, second edition. Uh, In V5, they are always mortals who are of importance to you in some way. It could be someone you love, it could be someone you care for, it could be a friend from your past, it could be a colleague from your past, it could be someone you are obsessed with and you obsessively protect. Now, if, let's say, you always wish to protect your family, I'll never you know, let them get kicked out of the flat, your touchstone may well have been your aged mother in this case because the two are linked. But while having a touchstone gives you a benefit because having a touchstone allows you to have a conviction, if you don't have them, well, bad luck, you're going to accumulate stains very quickly. If your touchstone gets harmed, this is the negative effect of having them, you are more likely to fall into frenzy. You're more likely to accumulate stains because you weren't there to look after them. So it's a double-edged sword. But even elder vampires, vampires centuries of age, have touchstones because it's about the only way they can keep control of themselves. They have to stay rooted to humanity in some way, so they keep mortals around them to do so.
0: It also gives the storyteller wonderful buttons to press.
1: Yep, yep. Um they shouldn't always be used as sacrificial lambs by storytellers. That's a bit cruel, but they should certainly be characters that get into trouble. Uh they should be characters who become aware of your vampiric nature and may not respond favorably to it. Probably won't. And yeah,
0: it's not always specifically the um the character in it in and of itself that is the touchstone, but also like the idea of them where if, to use the the family thing, if they start going through a divorce, that can also fracture the idea of what it means to you as protecting your family, because now the family is breaking up.
1: Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways, vampires are creatures of stasis. They, of course, never age. they will, Their appearance will never change. Everyone around them will. So when the mortals that they are close to, their touchstones start to change, you run the risk of losing them as touchstones. It's, again, a nice, fun mechanic. It's all profiled in the V5 core book, but I very much recommend anyone new to Vampire comes up with a conviction and touchstone links the two together because it will give them far more opportunities for roleplay. Uh, one question we were asked on the Discord before we started recording was how often should experience be given out in Vampire the Master of 5th edition? This is very much down to the storyteller, but the guidelines in the core book is that every player should get one experience point per session and everyone should receive one at the end of the story, which generally lasts, you know, three or four, four or five sessions. Now, you can be more generous, less generous. It really depends on the kind of power level you're going for. But that is the, I guess, guidance that's published.
0: I think the one thing that they didn't address well in the book about that is that vampires are long-term creatures. You and I may be worried about the rent this month, paycheck next week, birthday next year, something like that, where vampires tend to think in decades and centuries. So if you're getting experience at the rate that many other games do you're all of a sudden having everybody running around with rank five of everything
1: exactly now often it will cost you let's say around 15 experience points to increase a point in one of your disciplines one of your vampire powers and if you think about that then experience is given out one possession one at the end of the story so that's going to take quite a while to increase your disciplines but That is the long game. Vampire the Masquerade isn't a game where you're just going to level up, level up, level up. It is a game where your characters are often punching up whether it's uh, older vampires who are more powerful than you, which means you are never going to meet them in a white room with, you know, it's just you versus them on an even footing. You have to plan your way around them. You have to think of how to take down that elder vampire because you're not going to fight them, beat them in a straight fight. But you're also punching up at the second inquisition in vampire, uh, who are mortal hunters who are aware of mm-hmm. vampires and trying to eliminate you. They have a very big weapon on their side and that's the sun so you can see that your characters while you can prey upon the average citizen of the city who knows nothing about you the average loner you can feed from them and no one will ever know when it comes to bigger society vampire politics vampire hierarchy and governments uh The political body among mortals and intelligence agencies then you're going to be in trouble this is why it's called vampire the masquerade you do have to keep your activities discreet because if you don't you're probably going to end up with a stake through your heart and uh, facing the dawn if you're lucky If you're lucky, you know, it might be a lot worse than that.
0: Yeah, they could stake you and then do experiments on you and feed you blood and then drain it and empower other mortals to then help them fight more vampires. It's just yeah, not a great situation. (laughs) Uh, There was two and a half things I had to follow up on that is if they had had a section on planning time skips so that it could be like, hey, here's your story that you got going on that takes, let's say, a month to complete and then you skip ahead, say, six months, you can award additional experience there for just time that has passed.
1: Yep, um, definitely.
0: Would have been nice to have a little, you know, two paragraphs or something for storytellers about using that as a mechanic.
1: Yeah, downtime experience, essentially. Um, I My suggestion is to anyone who's interested in running Vampire, that you still get a sense of what the characters were doing during that downtime. Don't just give them experience because it's been a month since last time the vampires were active it's it's not only good for them to justify why they deserve the experience experience as again the name implies is experience it's something you have learned uh, it also gives you material to bounce off of as a storyteller if someone says they have been hard at work working night shifts as a vampire um in the supermarket in order to pay off their sister's car or something like that. Well, brilliant. That gives you two things as a storyteller. It gives you a supermarket... Uh, Which is a place where you can ha- engineer meetings. A sh- head of an employer, uh, a customer who just strides up to the vampire and says, "I know what you are." It also gives you a sister. It gives you their car, which might break down, or you may have stolen, or whatever. You know, whenever you have downtimes in a game, whether it's vampire or anything, always worth getting information as to what were the characters doing at that time.
0: And then one of the other big changes, since we were talking about eating people, is the predator types that they made here, where it gives you your character's preferred method of getting the blood that they need, and a big change to give you access to things you wouldn't normally have access to, because each one comes with a little bonus of one of two disciplines.
1: Yeah, so predator types aren't... Straight jackets—they don't force you to play a certain way. There's a clan in *Vampire: The Masquerade* called the Ventru who have what's called a feeding restriction. Uh, when you choose to play a Ventru, you have to choose the kind of mortals you can feed from. You can't feed easily from anyone else. You can spend willpower to do it, but that's by the by. With predator types, it does a similar thing where some of the pre- one of the predator types is Sandman, for instance. You. Prefer to feed from sleeping people, which means you break into houses and feed from them while they're asleep, and then break out of the house again and leave them none the wise but you know maybe slightly anemic. There are other predator types like blood leech who only feed from vampires because they feel like vampires—the only vampires, the only prey that should be fed from. Now, predator types are in V five largely as a player aid as a way to help construct your character to think about how they're going to feed, because feeding is such a major part of Vampire 5th Edition. Um And as you say, different predator types give different bonuses depending on the one you chose, but they aren't there to restrict you. You're not confined to playing that particular kind of predator f- for all time by any means. It's just your preference.
0: It helps to differentiate your clan person from every other clan person that exists. Definitely. Because each clan has their three specific disciplines that are like, air quotes, theirs. With the option from a potential uh, off-clan discipline from your predator type, it's like, sure, you may be that Ventrue who likes to feed from sleeping people, but now he picks up a, a little bit of obfuscate or uh, the one that lets them be invisible or undetected, and now suddenly mm-hmm. he can walk into that boardroom that Venture were prone to do without making a sound, and people don't notice him approaching, and all of a sudden he overhears something, or can then do that uh, <clears throat> and make himself known and get that social power position almost.
1: Yeah. I'm. Um, let's say you were sneaking into a boardroom where you're trying to listen in and a vampire overhears you and they decide they're going to start shooting at you. Uh, it's a good opportunity to talk about how conflict works and um, there's a couple of different rules for conflict in v5 uh, because you can play it you can play it the straightforward way you can play it the simplified way or you can play it the advanced way the straightforward way is quite simply let's say your characters are about to engage in a gunfight you go left to right of from all the players and figure out what they want to do as the conflict is about to start uh you basically get them to declare their their pools what dice pools they're going to be rolling and then you go for it uh let's say some of them are trying to dodge out the way of the gunfire and so they roll decks and their dexterity and their athletics they pair, pair those two together they roll those dice pools let's say someone is firing back with their gun they might roll their composure plus their firearms to take aim or if they're just quickly shooting without looking it might be dexterity plus firearms for instance this is the way combat works it's just the same as any other skill roll now when you're opposing someone else as you often are in a conflict the winner uh well one participant rolls their dice roll their dice pool the other person rolls their dice pool the person who rolled highest subtracts the loser's successes from their total so say one person rolls five successes one person rolls three successes the person who rolled five takes the three off of their successes they have two left and that is damage essentially that's the damage you have dealt to the person who you are attacking in this case now Depending on the weapons you're using, let's say this is a physical com- conflict, uh, you m- will get additional damage from certain guns and certain types of firearm uh and the like. Now, in this game, you can also do what is essentially social damage and mental damage as well. Vampires have health and they have willpower. I mentioned willpower earlier. If someone is humiliating you in a vampire court before the rest of the vampires and really dresses you down, makes you look a complete fool, and you're trying to defend yourself, well, let's say they succeed. And again, let's say after they deduct your successes from theirs, they end up with two. Well, that does two damage to your willpower instead of your health. Now, in what occasion would someone socially rebuking you do additional damage like let's say if you were being shot at with a uh sawn off shotgun at close range you might get additional damage from that well if you were being humiliated in front of an audience that does additional damage to your willpower so that is the equivalent of being attacked with a nasty weapon
0: just and the idea for somebody to make a vampire in court think that they're up there and just their underwear trying to give a report to give extra social damage,
1: <laughs> see yeah, but you're getting it, you're getting the point it's it's a nice, elegant system, it's very, very simple, it's just yeah attackers versus defenders, and there's another two ways you can play it, but for people first getting into vampire, it's nice and easy to work that out
0: there are. Two aspects of it that I really enjoy, particularly in the uh the meat world combat, not necessarily the social world, but is the the fact that there is no initiative. Mm. There's a, a minor thing of engaged melee combats or hand-to-hand combats, ranged combats, and then like everything else, including new engaged melee combats, so that it's like an order of operations for you to resolve people's dice rolls, but it's not like alright, I've got a 15 you've got a 12 and then down the list and you just go around in a circle it gives you a lot more narrative control over what your characters can do and how they can help each other
1: yeah it makes it feel like everything's going off simultaneously as opposed to everyone waiting their turn to get hit or hit someone and different games have experimented with different initiative systems over the years, of course. Dungeons & Dragons is very famous for having what is essentially whoever's got the most dexterity and rolls the best goes first. Uh, There are other games that basically have you rolling initiative, and the person who rolls lowest declares what they're doing first, and then you go up towards the fastest, because the faster people can act based on how they know the slower people are going to act. So there's lots of different ways you can do it. But yeah, in the case of V5, it's pretty much simultaneous action to demonstrate that when action occurs, it is generally pretty frenetic and out of control. It just goes, bam, and there's action all of a sudden.
0: It also helps to keep everybody engaged because we all know when that after your turn in a, say, d d because everybody knows about it, style initiative You go, and then you have to wait for it to go all the way down and come back around to you, and very little has changed. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And if you just so happen to have rolled a bad roll, and you would have been, it would have been more interesting had you gone first, well, to use a and d example let's say you are the cleric and i mean i love playing clerics but let's say the cleric's major role is for healing other people let's let's assume that if you happen to roll really well and you're the cleric and you go first you've got no one to heal well you could hold your action or you could do something superfluous but if someone then gets hit really badly on the next turn well, you've already spent your action and you can't heal them now. It would have been a lot better if you could choose when to act. So it's um you know, different strokes for different folks, but I I appreciate how V5 does it.
0: I have always said that going last in a round of initiative is like going first in the next round. It's the same thing.
1: Yep. Yep, exactly.
0: Uh the other thing I really like about the way that they have laid things out is the three-turn and out rule, where yeah. after three sets of roles for a thing you should probably just look at the situation and decide if it really needs to continue or if you can just narrative it out of the scene
1: yeah the idea behind that we discussed it at length when we were designing v5 was the fact that combat so rarely ends in white flags or people fleeing or hostages being taken and that is completely inaccurate in our world and most media for that matter, if they're well most serious media, people will not just all fight each other to the death. Uh but in role playing games, that is the norm, especially again, and it sounds like I'm really uh crapping on D and D. I'm not. I I enjoy D and D. I think it, it's 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 its own game. And yeah, the
0: It's, it's the, good at what it does.
1: Yeah, it's very, very good at what it does, as is displayed by the number of people who play it. But, yeah, the common trend is that people will make every single fight a battle to the death, regardless of whether you're fighting a hill giant, a village of kobolds, or just a bandit, when in reality what you might do is try and scare one of those groups off. And in Vampire, the fact that at the end of three rounds you are told in the book what you should do at that point is determine how does the battlefield look where are people in uh you know in relation to each other can is someone likely to surrender Is are the police likely to show up at this point that kind of thing it makes you start thinking about your conflict in context which i think is excellent for narrative purposes certainly more interesting than rolling and rolling and rolling until someone drops down dead
0: and they do a lot of other things that are really nice that uh, a lot of other systems get caught up in things like tracking ammunition and you know times per day you can use a thing and yeah yeah all the rest of the stuff The armor system, with the fact that armor is, air quotes, mostly useless to vampires, is Mm. also really interesting.
1: Yeah, it basically gives you a static defense and makes you more likely to essentially absorb damage. Uh, Cover does the same thing during ranged combat.
0: But, yeah. Sorry, you carry on. Sorry, Where it turns what would be more serious aggravated damage into superficial damage, but as Mm. a vampire you don't take aggravated damage from a whole lot of things. A mortal who gets stabbed or shot is going to have a real bad time, but for a vampire, it's like, eh.
1: Yep, exactly. Because most damage that's inflicted to a vampire, all damage comes in two forms, superficial and aggravated, both to willpower and health. Now, um, yeah, as you say, bullets, fists, blades all treated as superficial damage as far as a vampire is concerned, unless that blade is going through your heart. The things that do aggravated damage, and these are the things you really need to worry about, are fire, the sun, certain holy weapons, holy water, for instance, true faith. Uh, That's where a vampire needs to be concerned. The good news is, most of the time, vampires don't have to worry about it. Because, how often are you running around in the daylight? Bad news is, you're still fairly vulnerable if someone decides to unload an assault rifle into you, that superficial damage is going to rack up quickly if you're not doing something to get away the one advantage you have over the humans who are having the exact same thing happen to them is you can get up and run and you would probably evade the person shooting at you before you died whereas a human would take every single one of those bullets as aggravated and would just drop
0: down dead before they could even tie their shoelaces however vampires do still have a use for that kevlar vest because when you get shot and you fall down but then you get back up people are like oh god you got shot and you're like oops i'm a vampire i can't tell them that where if you pull up open your shirt and you're like kevlar vest yep exactly a lot always
1: keep work. the masquerade i'm glad you're thinking about the camera that will appreciate
0: you <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure that they will oh man uh, I'm sure that we could keep going forever I'm not sure if you have anything else big that's major to the system that we well, should that's talk pretty
1: about. much all of the main system beats uh, that we've covered in just over an hour so not bad going really um, the main things for new players to keep in mind are D10s It's always D10s Always add an attribute to a, to a skill, but never feel like you have to pair a certain attribute and a certain skill to achieve something. Be creative. If you think that your dexterity plus technology makes more sense than intelligence or wits plus technology to hotwire that car because you're trying to work quickly, then say to the storyteller, can I use Dex plus technology in this case? And usually they'll just say yes, because the game rewards you for making creative pairings, as long as you can justify it in some way.
0: But um, don't be that guy who's got four <laughs> dots in dexterity and wants the dexterity plus intimidation to knife juggle at somebody because, yeah. ha
1: ha. <laughs> well, <Wow>. you can. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, the other thing to keep in mind is play with your character's flaws. Hunger is there on every single person's sheet. Every single vampire has a bane. Every single ca- every single vampire has compulsions that they will play with when they make their bestial failures. Play them up, because this is a game where it's fun to fail. It makes your story more interesting. The stories where you succeed every single time become dull very, very quickly. But having a game where you actually care about your touchstones, your mortal acquaintances, having a game where you are, where you decide that your character likes to hold off from feeding until the last possible moment so as not to actually become a monster, will make for a more rewarding gaming experience for you And if you're just someone who says oh, well, I'm on Hunger 1 now so I better kill someone tonight. Um, that That leads to very black and white playing in the end and not terribly rewarding.
0: I am very blessed by the players that I have and some of the things that have happened in our game so far. <laughs> uh, I really should find out who made this quote and what book it first showed up in, but I keep forgetting to. But it was basically the advice of drive your character like a stolen car.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was very good advice.
0: You know, Don't be like, oh no, nothing bad could ever happen to poor old Mary Sue. You know, get Mary Sue out there, let her get punched in the face and realize she's not awesome.
1: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with uh, ending that stolen car story like Thelma and Louise. If your story is uh, reaching a denouement and your character's achieved everything you want to achieve with that character, feel free to send them off in a graceful and interesting way so that you can roll up a new one with new convictions, new touchstones, new stats, and tell a new story.
0: And that's why we're all here really is to tell very specific, not very specific stories, but specifically to tell stories to, yep. exactly, to find, to find out what is going to happen next.
1: All right. Well, I hope that's been helpful.
0: I hope it has been too. Uh, it has been a pleasure to just sit and talk and pick your brain over the past, uh, however long this recording is, but um, thank you very much for the time and the opportunity.
1: Uh, it is an absolute pleasure people can always find me on matthewdawkins.com I as I say I have my full list of credits there I think it's full might need updating but it's pretty extensive I have a contact button on there should you wish to reach out to me via that website as well uh, I also have a patreon um, most of the people who back my Patreon do it so they can play games that I'm running. I'm currently running five games on my Patreon right now, uh, but I'm always uh, always happy to run more because without trying to sound too mercenary, if people are paying for my time and energy, I will give both to them. And that it basically translates as me being able to keep the lights on, but also getting to run games, which is something I enjoy doing. And right now I'm running V5, I'm running V20 Dark Ages, I'm running Cthulhu by Gaslight, I am running Call of Cthulhu, and I am running a game called Broken Rooms. Um, If people want to check out the kinds of things I've written, they can definitely, of course, look at V5. Most specifically, they'll get the biggest taste of the kind of developer and writer I am if they look at books like Chicago by Night. Cults of the Blood Gods, Let the Streets Run Red, the Chicago Folios, as those are books I developed, which means I oversaw the writing teams as well as writing for them, developed the entire thing, and they've done very well. But the games I would love if people checked out, if they like what I have to say, um, uh, they came from Beneath the Sea and they came from Beyond the Grave. They Came from Beneath the Sea is available to buy already on drivethroughrpg.com. And they came from Beyond the Grave, can be pre-ordered. It's currently being put together. Uh, The book is already fully written. We're just waiting for all the art to come in. And you can pre-order that on a website called Backer Kits. I will make sure all of the links are sent to Bruno so that he can uh, post them in whatever kind of log you do with these episodes.
0: Uh, I will have it. Somewhere that I can link you on the Discord, I'll have it in the episode description, and it'll be up on our website underneath, the where you can listen to it there, and all of the links and stuff. Perfect. Uh, and, and wherever else I can really find room to stick it. Uh, I do have a last-minute question that I thought of.
1: Oh, yes. Go ahead.
0: Do you have a favorite V5 thing that you wrote?
1: That's, that's an interesting question. No one has asked that of me before, actually
0: because I can't ask um, you if you have a favorite part because that's unfair it's like asking if you have a favorite child
1: <laughs> well that's not true I do have a favorite child luckily I only have
0: one of them though yeah uh, there's the
1: yeah um rub. so uh, there's a few things I'm really quite pleased with that have just kind of that don't feel artificial in v5 they have been invented for v5 but they feel like they could have always existed in vampire the masquerade and one of them is a very simple concept it's a group called the circulatory system and while i worked on a lot in on v5 the core the camera book the an art book and all the subsequent ones the circulatory system were a group invented for the second playtest material for V5 of human blood traffickers. They are basically caterers for kindred who want to drink certain types of blood, gain certain blood resonances, or if they're Ventrue, because they have a refined palate. And so they place an order with this body called the circulatory system who. Will essentially snatch and grab or pay off people to deliver them to vampires so those vampires can feed from them. Now, the circulatory system have ended up appearing in books I've developed, books I've written on, and books I, and products I haven't had any contact with. And when I see people speaking about it, and it's a really minor thing, but when I see people referencing it on Discord or on forums or in actual plays and knowing they just, used them because they were there. That makes me feel proud of the material, more so than even anything system wise that I might have contributed because they have just seen it and thought, yeah, this makes sense. Of course there's blood traffickers, it's vampire the masquerade. And frankly I think the name is very smart as well.
0: It so makes- yeah. It would be that I will I will make a little asterisk there to see if I can fit them in somewhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can find out a little more about them in uh chicago by night but yeah i think they appear in pretty much every product that's been released now
0: very cool very cool uh yeah i will be sure to get you a link of stuff when we put the episode lives and stuff so you can see it and all of that goodness um, well,
1: thank you very much. It's been my absolute pleasure. I am a, I remain a big fan of Vampire the Masquerader. Other than the Clans and the Vampire Companion, I've written every single clan for uh, V5. And seeing how people respond to that material is incredibly gratifying. And being asked to appear on shows like this and and talk to new players, people interested in getting into vampire is, well, it's, it's wonderful because I started out as a fan. I'm still a fan, uh, being able to provide material like this that helps other people get into the game is just fantastic.
0: Your kind words were my cold, dead heart. <laughs> Not too much. I hope. No, no, nothing. So, uh, I don't know, something...
1: Not enough to do aggravated damage.
0: Yeah, there you go. It's like, oh god, I can't heal my heart because it's all aggravated. (laughs) Uh, And with that, uh, thank you very much for coming on, and I will get you that list of that stuff we talked about all those other AP podcasts that I listen to.
1: Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Uh, And get rid of Craig. Goodbye, Craig.